Good morning. A very, very good morning to you. And uh, it's great to uh, have the uh, privilege to come and bring God's word to you this morning. Uh, we're continuing in our series in John. And um, we've been up to... Uh, the chapters up to chapter 16 as you remember Jesus has been teaching he's been counseling he's been encouraging he's been prepping uh, his disciples and we're coming now to John 17 which is a almost, I would say a change of gear because what's happening now is we see Jesus in prayer but let's just look at um, one verse at the end of the passage that Sam was speaking from so brilliantly last week um, I just want to share show you before we start kind of thing John 16 where Jesus is preparing his disciples and he says at verse 28 I came from the father and entered the world now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. He's kind of summarizing the situation. He also rather brilliantly summarizes not less than four key doctrines in that one sentence. Um, there's four key doctrines here. He says, I came from the Father. We see here the pre-creation, eternal Jesus. I entered the world. We have there the incarnation, God with us. Now I'm leaving the world. We have the cross, the resurrection, the ascension. And I'm going back to the Father. Jesus' ascension to the Father where in heaven he will ever intercede for us. We read in Hebrews 7.25. So there we have four key doctrines Jesus packs in to one sentence. And that those doctrines kind of form the background to the word that I believe God has given me to bring this morning. So let's pray before we get into John 17. Father, I, I feel absolutely inadequate to bring the weight of word that you've given me to bring this morning. And I'm just a floppy glove, a little floppy glove. And I ask Father God that you would fill me and use me and I ask Lord that your Holy Spirit would empower this word and speak to our hearts and glorify Jesus we want to glorify Jesus this morning we want to lift him up and we ask it in his name and for his kingdom in our lives amen so John 17 what we have here is Jesus in prayer after Jesus said this he looked toward heaven and prayed father the time has come glorify your son that your son may glorify you for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him now this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. John 17 is 26 verses of Jesus' 
praying. It's the largest, most vivid, best example of what Jesus' prayer life actually looked like. And it's in three sections. Here we've read of Jesus praying for himself. Then he prays for his disciples. And then he prays for you. Those who will come after. Those who will follow later. And... These five verses of Jesus praying for himself is what we're focusing on this morning. And there are many things in this passage that I would love to speak about. I would love, I could speak about authority, I could speak about election, I could speak about eternal life, I could speak about knowing God, I could speak about how this is a model of prayer. But none of these are actually what the prayer is about. None of these are actually the big idea the big subject of this passage. What's the big subject of this passage of five verses? Did you see it? Or what's the most repeated word? Father, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Down in verse four, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Have you spotted it? What's the most repeated word? Glory and glorify. And we need to know what that means. We need to get a handle on that. And the Greek word behind glorify is dekadzo. It means to hold in honor, to clothe with splendor, to render something excellent, illustrious, to cause worth and dignity of a person to become manifest, to become recognized. This is the big subject. This is the big prayer. In fact, I put it to you, this is the greatest prayer, the most significant prayer that has ever been prayed. Father, glorify your son. What's he saying, glorify your son? Big me up, Papa. Boost my profile. What's Jesus asking for? <clears throat> to understand this question, and it's really important that we do, we need to understand three things. Firstly, who is Jesus? And that's really important because there are cults and sects like Jehovah's Witnesses, like Mormons, there are religions like Islam who want to deny and set out to deny the true identity of who Jesus really is. John begins his gospel. He regards this as the most important thing he needs to do. He does it at the beginning. So he sets out to establish clearly the identity of Jesus. Who is he? And we read, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. We see here the pre-creation existence of Jesus. Eternal with God as God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And the word there, you know, actually you probably know. In Greek there are three words for life. There's bios where we get biology. And there's suke, where we get psychology. But it, suke is where Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole wide world and lose his life? Suke is the soul life. But the word here is the third word in Greek for life. It's zoe, which is the, it's the 
divine life of God that Jesus came to bring and share with us. It's what we sometimes call abundant life or life in all its fullness. It's just a little word, Zoe, but it's very, very strong. In him was Zoe. And that life was the light of all mankind. And then, for the avoidance of doubt, let's look at another passage in Colossians 1, telling us again, who is Jesus? The Son is the image, something visible, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. How would you describe him? Well, in Hebrews he's described the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things with his powerful word. Are we clear about who he is? Are we clear? There is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is there with the Father, pre-creation, in the beginning. But second question, how did he come? Philippians 2 tells us, Jesus is in very nature God, but he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be clung onto. And at the bidding of the Father, he's willing to put aside all the privileges of heaven. And he makes himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant. He emptied himself. What does that mean, he emptied himself? It means he deprived himself of all the majesty, the power, the glory, the privileges that were rightly his as the Son of God. He allowed himself to be utterly reduced, utterly weakened, encapsulated within the frame of a tiny human being, completely powerless. You know, like you and I hurl a stone, this is the one who could hurl a galaxy. And he becomes a wriggling, crying little baby who needs help. He needs help to burp. God needs help to burp. Who could make this up? <laughs> what was heaven thinking? Well, here's how some children in Auckland imagined it. It's a little video for us. Have you ever wondered what we might see if we could pull back the curtain of time to that very first Christmas? If we could, I imagine the story began in heaven, something like this. God was looking over heaven's balcony one day, shaking his head at all the wrong things people were doing down on earth. Oh man, this isn't quite what I had in mind when I created earth. I feel so far away from my kids down there. Why? It's just hard to be friends with people when you don't like what they're doing. I think it's time. Time for what, Lord? Time for us to step in. Shall we read as a yarmulke, Lord? Take your little lesson. 
No, I don't think we see an army. Maybe just one person. What person? Brilliant! They won't be expecting that. Lord, we're sending just one person. Left to be someone very powerful and very strong. Because there's tons of people down there. No, they don't have to be strong. They'll be going as a newborn baby. A newborn baby? Brilliant! They won't be expecting that. Lord, this plan is rather risky. A newborn human baby is small and weak. This baby must be born to people who will protect him. Maybe a great ruler or mighty king? Actually, I was thinking I could send him to a young peasant girl whose heart is beautiful and full of courage. A peasant girl? Brilliant! They won't be expecting that! My lord, I see you're planning to take Earth by surprise. No one will be expecting a newborn baby born to a humble villager. But what good can a baby do? This will not just be any baby. I'm sending in the Prince of Heaven in disguise. The Prince of Heaven? Uh, thanks to St Paul's Auckland. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube, An Unexpected Christmas. You know, if I was to have a wrestling match with, um, say, Sam or Pete, they'd probably kill me. I would, I would need a safe word. You know, I'd need to be able to say, if I say bananas, stop, let me go. But for Jesus, there was no safe word. There was no emergency handle to stop the train. There was no button to reverse this terrible demotion. Imagine little Prince George dropped into one of the world's slums with no ID and no way back. That's about the best comparison that I can come up with. Jesus was not Superman. If he was some kind of Superman, why did he regularly sacrifice so much sleep time to get up in the middle of the night and go out and spend hours in prayer with his father? Superman wouldn't need to do that. But the Son of God, reduced to a human body, was 100% dependent on his relationship with heaven, with his relationship with Father. If he'd taken his eyes off heaven, he would have run in... He would have run in the opposite direction. If you watch The Chosen, and I know many of you have, do you remember the wedding at Cana? The moment the water was turned into wine, there was no click of the fingers. There was no superabundance of self-confidence. Do you remember how it was with a long look upward? There's just humble dependence and trust, asking that the power of God would flow. You know, had he not put aside his glory, the wine thing would have been a triviality, mere bagatelle. But he put it all aside. He put his glory aside. He emptied himself. When you go on holiday, and you come to the end of the week and you're packing your bag, do you find there's clothes and things that you haven't used? Do you find that? Yeah, yeah. And do you ever look at what your wife or your husband or your friend is packing? Yeah. Do you ever think, why are you taking that? You know, 
why, why are you packing a hairdryer? We're going to a hotel. There'll be a hairdryer in the room. Come on, what do you need that for? Actually, I'm a bit weird. Julie would look at me and say, why are you taking that pair of pliers and that screwdriver? <laughs> yeah, because you know, if something's broken, I might need to mend it. So I want to be armed. You know, when Jesus packed, he brought nothing. Just himself. Alone, he's powerless. He's 100% divine, the son of God. He hasn't changed his identity, but there's no royal robes. So that's who he is, and that's how he's come. But why? Father, the time has come. My hour has come. This is why he's come. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be ridiculed. He's going to be humiliated. You know, being mocked and humiliated, would you like that? It's very painful. He's going to be wrongly accused. He's going to be stripped, abused, beaten, whipped, nailed, and left to hang until dead. That would be hard for anyone, but this isn't anyone. This is a king. This is the king of kings. This is the lord of heaven's armies. This is the most glorious being who's ever been. He stepped out of heaven. You've come down. And they don't even like you. The whole reason you came was for them. To heal them, to rescue them, to set them free, to release them from evil, to redeem them. And they're just being mean. My hour has come. Glorify your son. What's he saying? What does he mean, glorify your son? Big me up. Boost my profile. He's saying, I feel like trash. Like I'm wasting my time. Father, don't let this be for nothing. Father, through all that is going to happen in the hours ahead, what I'm surrendering, surrendering to you, let it be seen. Let it be revealed. Let it be understood. Let it be worth it. If there's no other way, if there's no other plan to prove your love for unlovely man, yeah, let me be the means of releasing freedom, forgiveness for all those you love. Yes, let me be the lamb. Let me be the sacrifice, the offering for sin that satisfies your perfect justice. He's asking, through all that I'm about to suffer, Please, let the wonder of your love, of your justice, of your wisdom, let it be seen, let it be revealed, let it be recognized, let it be appreciated, let it be worshipped, let it be understood. Make me the saviour of the world. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, Father. The glory Jesus is asking for is not ultimately for himself, it's for the Father. You know, children bring honour to their parents when they bring them obedience. Jesus brought glory to the Father by his perfect 
obedience. And he brought glory to the Father by completing the work the Father gave him to do. I read that in World War II, attached to an air raid station in Bristol, there was a Boy Scout who was a messenger. Derek Belfall was his name, and he was sent on his bike with a message to the next station. But on the way back, he was hit in the blast of a bomb. And though mortally wounded, he was found conscious, and his last whispered words were Messenger Belfall reporting, I have delivered my message. Jesus delivered the message of the Father's infinite love. He completed the work. And the destiny, the eternity of millions upon millions of people were changed. Because Jesus completed the work the Father gave him to do. You know, Jesus was never more majestic than in his death. He was never out of control. Jesus, you know, put himself on the cross. No one took his life. He laid it down freely. And the cross is his glory. In his life, thousands were drawn to his side in amazement and admiration, though they nearly all fell away. But in his cross, like the most powerful magnet of all time, he draws to himself millions upon millions in love and in willing surrender. Father, glorify your Son. Let this not be for nothing. It's the greatest prayer, the most world-changing prayer ever prayed. But was it answered? But was it answered? Well, do you believe? As Sam was asking last week, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus endured the cross for you? Have you moved from hope so to know so? Do you know the Lord's blessing in your life because you are living by the teachings that Jesus has given us? Do you know that God loves you? He really deeply loves you. Have you come to love him? And out of that love for him, have you come to surrender your life to him? To seek to live in obedience and to glorify and honour him in your life? Well, have you? There's your answer. Was the prayer answered? There's your answer. I'm going to the cross. Father, glorify your son. You know, the cross is like a diamond. It has many facets. It's, in a way, it's beautiful. It has many facets. It, it, the cross is like a great exchange. At the cross, he was bruised for our iniquities. It was by his stripes that we are healed. He was cursed that we would receive blessing. He became poor 
that we would become rich. He was put to shame. He took our shame so that we could become glorious. By his blood, we are redeemed. And by his death, we are given life. We're so privileged to see this. To see the glory of the cross. And to know he did it for me. To see into the mystery of the cross. A mystery that angels long to see into. 1 Peter 1 verse 12, you find that. The glory of the cross. No angel in the sky can fully bear the sight. I was, <laughs> I was so thrilled. I've been seeing that hymn all week. And I had no liaison with Matt at all. And I couldn't believe it that we were singing crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. You couldn't have chosen a better song to open the service with Matt. And I have to say, for years, when we get to that bit where it says, no angel in the sky can fully bear the sight, but downward turns his burning eye at mysteries so bright. Angels can't appreciate the cross the way that you can appreciate the cross because they've got nothing to be forgiven. This is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the gospel, the glory of the cross. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for all who have faith. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. How about you? Do you own this? Do you own this gospel? He did it for me. The glory of the cross, his glory, is revealed in verse 2. For you granted him authority over all people that he might do what? Give eternal life. Eternal Zoe, the shared divine life of God to all those, Jesus says to the Father, you have given me. The glory of the cross, his glory, is to forgive, to redeem, to set free. But that's not the end of it. It's to give us eternal life. For us to share in the life of God. Jesus says, share my life. Share your life with me. I come to give you eternal life. The essence of being a Christian is eternal life. Being a Christian is not defined in terms of intellect or morality. It's do you have this eternal life that Jesus gave himself that he might give this to you. All of history comes up to this hour, Jesus stepping down, all he's done, all he's teaching, his cross is so he can give you new life, eternal life, life in abundance. Father, glorify your son. And he's glorified in the cross. The cross is like a great, what well, it is, a great victory, destroying the hold 
of evil and sin over mankind. Never become complacent about the cross. I make it my daily prayer. Julie and I make it our daily prayer. Thank you, Father, for sacrificing your one and only beloved Son for me and my family. Thank you, Jesus, for your stripes, that by your stripes we are healed and by your blood we are redeemed. I encourage you to make that your prayer daily. Thank Father that he was willing to give his only beloved son so that you could be redeemed, set free. That Jesus, by his stripes, we are healed. By his blood, we are redeemed. And the resurrection is a glorious manifestation of that victory. But now let's get practical. How do we, you and I, how do we take hold of that victory? How do we appropriate it? Look at Paul. Incredible confidence, unshakable faith, huge courage. He says, our present sufferings, they're not worth even comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Paul has incredible, tremendous confidence, faith, courage. Where did he get this kind of stuff? Where can you and I get this kind of stuff? So that we could live with the kind of confidence and faith and courage and vision that Paul expresses in his writings. Where did he get this world-class endurance, this patience and faith and courage that he has? Where did he get it? If you and I knew where to get that, we could be amazing. Any ideas how he got that? Well, the answer is tucked away in 2 Corinthians 3, in verse 18. Come with me to this verse. Paul has just been talking about how Moses, even Moses, who so he just said, let me see your glory. And, and the Lord tucked him away. And he said, you can't, but just tucked him away in a little cleft in the rock. And, and, and it's, it's as if he's just the back of God just passed by. And Moses is glowing with the glory of God so that people, he, has to, he wears a veil. But then Paul says, but we don't have a veil because the mystery that Moses would have loved to have looked into, the angels would love to look into, we have seen it. We have seen the glory of the cross. We come with unveiled faces. Yeah? We who with unveiled faces contemplate, we'll come back to that word, the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Now, this is a very difficult verse to translate, where that word we've got there is contemplate, because it, it, the word behind that, the Greek, only occurs once in the Bible. And it actually means, because sometimes we, we have it as we who behold, we who reflect, we who contemplate. It actually means we who look deeply into a mirror. Now, looking, how we look into a mirror, think about that, it's pretty interesting. 
how do you look into it? Do you have one of those mirrors that there's a magnifying mirror? You know, you spend some time looking at whether you're a man shaving or a lady doing other things with that mirror. Do you know, you spend a bit of time in the mirror. You see, you look in the mirror, you see every pore. You see every wrinkle, don't you? You see every little hair that shouldn't be there. Yeah? What he's saying is, we look in detail. We gaze. We who gaze and look in detail at the glory we contemplate. We look in detail at the Lord's glory. And what happens as a consequence? We are being transformed. We are being changed into the likeness of Jesus with ever-increasing glory. Paul is saying, look at Jesus Christ. Look at his glory like that. Don't just glance. Look at him like that. Like you look in a mirror. Gaze at Jesus. Does that remind you of anyone? Gaze at Jesus. Someone who sat and gazed up at Jesus. Yeah? Yeah. No hurry to get away. You know, the Lord has got plenty of Marthas, like me, who love to be doing, love to be busy, who are willing to be busy. And yes, there are things that need doing. But what he longs for is that we would be like Mary, that we would stop and be willing to sit at his feet and gaze and wait and listen and be attentive and abide and remain and share life with him, to gaze on his glory and to fall deeper in love with him. See, there's a cause and effect there in this verse. Gaze upon the Lord's glory. Into his likeness we will be changed with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you want to be more like Jesus? See his glory. Gaze upon his glory. You know, really, that's the essence of how you become a Christian. It's the essence of how you grow. It's the essence of how you fall deeper in love with Jesus. It's the essence of how you catch fire for him. Where did Paul get his world-class endurance, his incredible confidence, his faith and courage? He was continually gazing he was continually gazing at the glory of Christ, at the glory of the cross. He immersed himself in the doctrines, in the facts, and the glory of Jesus. And you may do the same. Father, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Amen.